0: From Springfield, this is State Week, a program of analysis and commentary on the events that made news this past week in Illinois' state government and politics.
1: To the fake patriots and their enablers, you don't love the United States if you're not willing to defend it against a man who would destroy it. Donald Trump is the modern embodiment of tyranny that our founders feared the most. When the guardrails of our democracy, the load-bearing walls of institutions of government, the freedoms that this state's most famous son died to protect are under attack, well then, winning is not a luxury, but a necessity. Look at the last Republicans that were able to win statewide races. Judy Bartopinka, Mark Kirk, Jim Edgar, all considered moderates, and if they were around today in office, they would be considered rhinos. They would be vilified, and I've been been called a rhino. And you know what? That's the major part of the problem with the party. If you don't go along with 100% of the conservative way, if you don't abide 100% by the party platform, you're of no good. The election went big for Democrats in the state of Illinois, Republicans now dealing with the fallout. We'll discuss that and more coming up on State Week. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield. Our panel includes Charlie Wheeler. He's a professor emeritus and former director of the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield. And Charlie's also been a longtime State House reporter and observer. Also with us, we have Hannah Meisel, NPR Illinois State House editor. And our guest today is Amanda Vinicky from WTTW's Chicago Tonight. And Amanda, it's always good to have you back with us.
2: I'm always glad to be back with you, some of my favorite people in all of Illinois government and politics. Just saying something.
1: All right, thanks a lot. Thank thank you. Thank you
0: very much. (laughs) I enjoy I enjoy watching your animated presentation every night on
1: TTW streaming.
2: yeah, you don't have to live in Chicago to watch. There's my quick shout out before we get to the business at hand.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of that business at hand, Amanda, I guess not a shock. We've been hearing the polling for, for months now showing J.B. Pritzker was going to pull out this uh, race for governor. He did better than that, beating Darren Bailey pretty handily. Any uh, Anything that you take away from the results on election night?
2: I think, as you said, this is not a surprising result. I try not to pay too close attention to polls, let the voters have their chance. And yet it is not just polling. This is the the facts of life of Illinois politics in terms of where the population is, just how people's political leanings are, the, the polarization of the state, if you will, that while Bailey clearly did well in his turf. So downstate, much of central Illinois, um, it's not enough to overcome Chicago where Democrats dominate, period. And not just in Chicago, but increasingly in the suburbs that were once more thought of as Republican mainstays and then in recent years have gone more purple. They're not exclusively Democrat now, but... In large part, yes. And so it is not surprising. It, it may have been evidently to Bailey. Um, one takeaway was his, I guess you could call it a concession speech. Um, it was it was short. It was uh it, part of it, however, was holding out for a quote miracle. Um, we do know that Bailey is very religious. Um, I believe he, you know, fasted on election day is has been his practice. Um I think he might have truly been, you know, holding out for one. Um, and that, of course, did not come to fruition. But despite that, he, he did call, he did concede. We didn't see any sort of, um for much as during the election, there were sort of the uh, stunts that I think were rooted in real concerns for each of these candidates of bailey wanting to hear from pritzker that he would commit to remaining as governor and not go for any presidential aspirations and then pritzker saying are you going to abide by the election results for no matter what contest them ba- bailey didn't do that um he he conceded we will be watching to see what comes of him in the future i do not think this is going to be a sort of quietly fading into the sunset he very much believes that there is a movement and We, I'm sure we'll spend much of this show talking about the the divide in the GOP, half of which is um, Bailey's side, the other would be those more establishment Republicans that clearly again, went over to establishment Republicans, moderates or independents that sort of would flip-flop that we we saw clearly going for Democrats this election cycle. Yeah,
1: and Hannah, you were at Darren Bailey's headquarters, election night. Uh, You know, give us a feel for what that was like, and then also what J.B. Pritzker had to say. He came out with a very forceful speech, uh, his victory speech that evening.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Darren Bailey's election night party was at the Crown Plaza here in Springfield. Um, you know, it's it's always a crapshoot to try to, uh, you know, estimate crowd size, but definitely several hundred uh, at peak. But, um, you know, the mood was, it wasn't somber, but it wasn't uh, jovial. You know, there was a, there was a lot of uh, TV screens in the back projecting all of the networks, News, cnn etc um uh people seem to be concerned with races across the country that were um you know obviously closer and more in line with uh republicans uh interests uh you know nationally than you know even though of course they're always true believers you know those are the people who who would be shocked at a darren bailey because you know they're in their bubbles they maybe don't even know any Democrats. Uh, they they can't really fathom that anyone would vote for Jamie Pritzker or any sort of Democrat. So yeah, I mean, maybe they were surprised uh, by the results. But for the most part, I think that even the people attending that party were uh, they're not. there were when uh, when Darren Bailey finally did come out close to uh, gosh, it must have been like nine thirty closer to ten o'clock at night to uh, deliver his concession speech. You know, he said what Amanda had mentioned, uh, you know, folks, there might there's still room for a miracle, but uh, it looks like, you know, I wanna concede. And there were a few people who said, don't concede, don't concede. But, um, you know, to his credit, he sees reality. And uh, obviously that's a thing that a lot of politics have been lacking in the last several years. But, you know, uh, Pritzker had actually, uh, once polls closed at seven, The Associated Press had called the race, gosh, within a minute or two for uh, Governor Pritzker. And Pritzker gave his election night acceptance speech pretty quickly without waiting for a call from Darren Bailey. And it was this very forceful kind of repudiation. It's a a lot of what he said before, a repudiation of the kind of MAGA movement. Uh, you know against whole groups of people that are anti-trans anti-gay uh, and so uh, Pritzker's speech was a repudiation of all of, of all those things because his speech focused just as much on national politics as uh, Illinois obviously uh, the folks who want to speculate on a presidential run for JB Pritzker in 2024 they clamped down on that I maybe I'm wrong here. I'm just not as interested in speculating on that. I just, I'm not really sure what the value is. If, uh, the governor in his second term, if we see him turn away from actually being interested in, uh, the business of running Illinois state government, that would be cause for concern. If he's spending more time on a, uh, you know, possible campaign, that would be cause for concern. But I think, um, there's still value in trying to be a national figure. I thought it was really interesting this uh, summer, uh, if we flash back to, gosh, I guess it was July, when there was this fight over who would be the next uh, chair um, of the Democratic Party um, after Congresswoman Robin Kelly had served in the, uh, you know, replacing Mike Madigan as chair for the interim period. Um, And then there was like a full out Election at that meeting uh, in Springfield in late July. Everyone was, of course, uh, Robin Kelly didn't remain chair. Uh, it was uh, it's uh, now House uh, member Lisa Hernandez from Cicero, but uh, everyone uh, on who serves on that body uh, was thanking Robin Kelly for her service and saying what a breath of fresh air it is that. Um, the chair is someone who actually like wants Illinois to be relevant on the uh, national stage once more. You know, Robin Kelly said herself that when she showed up at I don't know there was some uh, national meeting of Democratic uh, state chairs from all over, and uh, they told her that she claimed that she was given a standing ovation because uh, no one had from Illinois had shown up in that capacity for decades, and um, you know, there's definitely some value. There's probably a lot of untapped potential in Illinois, but with Mike Madigan at the top of the party in Illinois, you know, that wasn't really his bag to engage much in national politics. So even if uh, Governor Pritzker doesn't run for president, there's probably a lot of value in him trying to be a national leader, uh, because there's just a lot of democratic power in Illinois, and possibly, you know, the DCCC, the DMC, all of those organizations might want to try to tap into it.
1: Well, Charlie, you watched the election returns, and and it wasn't just J.B. Pritzker at the top. I mean, this Democratic wave here in Illinois certainly filtered all the way down to other races.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I found interesting, and maybe just a, a coincidence, is the fact that if you look at the statewides, all the Democrats won, as was to be expected, But the people who won by the largest margins were the two women on the Democratic statewide ticket. Tammy Duckworth for the U.S. Senate, Susanna Mendoza for Comptroller. They both won by double digits. Uh, Duckworth was roughly 14 percentage points ahead of Kathy Salvi, her Republican opponent. Mendoza beat Shannon Teresi by 15. And the best the men candidates could do was J.B. Pritzker, who beat Darren Bailey by about 11%. And the the women had margins of over 500,000 votes. And the best the men could do was Pritzker's roughly 420,000 over Darren Bailey. So I thought that was interesting that that the women candidates did so well. And I think another thing, again, and this is to the credit of the the female population in Illinois, the two Supreme Court candidates who won in the new districts, uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth Rochford in the second district up in the north suburbs and Mary Kay O'Brien in the third district, which is basically rooted in DuPage and Will County and then extends down through the Illinois River Valley. Uh, They both won handily over their male opponents so what that means is that when the new supreme court is seated in a few weeks we are going to have a court that has five women out of the seven justices and we're going to have three black members for the first time so i think that that's progress for the state of illinois
1: well, there were certainly repercussions on the Republican side from this election. We already have heard from uh, Jim Durkin, longtime House Republican leader. He's not going to seek another term in that role, and we may also see a change at the top in uh, in Senate uh, Democrat, Senate Republican leadership as well. And Amanda. This is not surprising when you have a trouncing like we've seen across the state here, not just this election to the last couple of elections for the Republicans. um, There's going to be calls for change, and that's apparently what's going to happen here.
2: Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure how much leadership changes in the General Assembly will uh, accomplish in terms of resolving the woes of the Illinois Republican Party, which are multifold. In part, there had been a heavy reliance on some well-funded Uh, folks, some private wealthy individuals. We're looking at, for example, Bruce Rauner, Ken Griffin, who've both left for warmer pastures uh, and are now residents of Florida. And so the state doesn't have their money to rely on. We're not seeing the sort of ties uh, with the business community that you once had uh, with the Republicans. And so they're they're just having fundraising ills all over the place. Democrats, of course, are buttressed by In large part, Fritzker's owned millions of dollars, which went into every single one of the races that we have mentioned thus far, from his own to legislative races and the Supreme Court. And then I I think, uh, of course, it's also this long festering fight in the GOP between conservatives and moderates. I mean, we've been talking about it. I know, you know, when I started, it was it was Judy Bartopinka and is she Republican enough? Um, it, it started reporting on Illinois politics and government. And that, that that's never gone away, but I'm not sure that it has reached the pinnacle that it has now, with, for example, um, conservatives true conservatives, those aligned with Trump. And we know that the president is not popular in Illinois. uh, That We saw Bailey, we saw uh, a very interesting primary race. Much of this can be traced back to that. And so you might have, I I think, changes in leadership, but what the Republican Party stands for, how Illinois Republicans settle, whether it is the quote-unquote establishment, which are far fewer in number than they were even just uh, months ago now or days ago, frankly, uh, that is going to be an interesting battle to watch and one that I think in large part is guided by what happens on the national level. While all politics is to a degree local, I, I also think that that the brand of the Republican Party and what it stands for, this is something that Jim Durkin has repeatedly said in sort of his exit interviews, is that
0: the
2: the Illinois GOP and what it means to be a Republican in Illinois is, again, something that is A, being decided, but B, something that I I think voters don't separate very much from what is happening outside of Illinois, particularly in Washington, D.C.,
1: Charlie, I mean, Republicans, they need to pivot in some way here. There are going to be some people say they need to pivot more and become more conservative. There are going to be a lot of folks who say they're just not conservative enough. And then there's going to be these others who say, no, we've got to get more to become a more moderate party. And if you look at recent success, uh, uh, Mark Kirk, uh, uh, Bruce Rauner, those folks were able to win and they were considered more of a moderate Republican. They're the ones that had success. Where do you see things heading for the Republicans?
0: I guess there are basically two courses they can take. As was suggested, they could decide that, well, we're not quite pure enough, and so we have to get rid of anybody who's not 100% a, a cultural warrior, who's not 100% a, a Trump minion. Or on the other hand, from my perspective, they could become a bit more pragmatic and say, well, it's nice to be ideologically pure, but on the other hand, it would also be nice to actually win some elections outside of our core constituency. One of the things that uh, leader Durkin has been saying in his exit interviews, he's been pointing out, and this is a quote, this is not Mississippi. This is not Idaho. And he points out that when Mark Kirk, former US Senator Judy bar Jim Edgar, that they won because they were moderates. They could present an image of toleration and moderation where the votes are, in the suburbs, the collar counties, and parts of the city. And I think that's that's very true. When I started out as a reporter, the the Republican Party was conservative, but conservative in the sense that they cared about fiscal policy, they cared about taxes, they cared about productivity, economic development, those kinds of issues. They weren't so concerned with the culture wars or the the social battles that have come to characterize Republicans in recent years. And in a state like Illinois, in my opinion, focusing on fiscal stuff is what's gonna succeed for the Republicans
2: that that's an interesting Why that, that may be the appropriate calculus but i'm not sure what is done about voters uh, i mean sure th- there could have been greater emphasis in terms of commercials and i think there's a lot to unpack in terms of where for example richard Irvin went wrong when he had 50 million dollars to spend to win a primary how that wasn't accomplished but he did have that money um it well, was he had a, i he had would a, argue a lousy campaign,
0: campaign. I agree. Yeah, I just think
2: it's hard to convince voters in a primary that your best interest is to inv- elect a moderate to be electable down the path. P- people who are voting are not political strategists. They're not they're not making that calculation. So while we talk about it, I'm not sure what the Republican Party can do to make that change because it is bigger than the quote unquote party. It is a, a fight for beliefs, for philosophy.
0: And maybe it's going to be the Republicans are going to be the minority party in Illinois going forward. One of the things that was interesting, as, as we've mentioned many times, once upon a time, the Collar counties were solid Republican. and They were very safe for a Republican candidate. And that's where Republicans would win. Uh, J.B. Pritzker, this is a story that appeared in, in the Daily Herald. J.B. got roughly half of his total votes from the suburbs, more than a million votes came from the suburbs, which is just amazing.
2: I would also add that we, we saw it's not just the General Assembly in Pritzker. I mean, DuPage County has always had a chair that is a Republican. A current state rep who will not right. be returning to Springfield next year is going to be chair. She, Deb Conroy, that is, she was up against Greg Hart who had cast himself as somebody, as one of these quote-unquote old-school Republicans, who was not concerned with social issues, who said, I want to work with both sides. I'm here to be practical. That was his entire campaign. He still lost. Clearly, there is a trend in the suburbs, and that is one that is continuing to go in Democrats' favor. It's not abiding in any way, even when there were supposed to be
0: quote-unquote, a red wave. I think part of it is a is demographic change, the particularly the growth in the Hispanic population in the suburbs.
1: Hannah, one of the things about the Democrats is when you have the majorities that they're going to have in the Illinois General Assembly and holding all these statewide offices, there is a, a tendency to get a little overconfident. Uh, certainly that we've seen that in the past as well. Is that a concern?
3: I mean, so in 2018, when um when then speaker mike madigan won 74 seats in the house that was the most ever kind of amazing though that it was the most ever if he accomplished what he always sets out to accomplish which is to uh grow his power within his own caucus but it was those folks particularly the women the women who won in this blue wave election in 2018 who ended up taking him down in 2020. Democrats uh, went down by one seat. Uh, the current supermajority in the House is 73. But uh, this election could uh, go up to as many as 77, even 78. There are still a couple of races that are too close to call. They're still being counted. You know, when you when your caucus grows that big, it's like herding cats because there's just a lot of interests. Uh, sure, a lot might align, but um, even though a lot of the, you know, there's probably there's going to be two main democratic constituencies in the house um, for the most part there's the democrats in the city of chicago and then there's the democrats in the, sh- in the suburbs uh, of course there's also a few democrats in down in the metro east in central illinois but for the most part those are the two big kind of sub-caucuses and if you want to divide even further you also have folks who are representing um, predominantly Black areas of the city of Chicago, folks who are representing predominantly Latino areas of the city of Chicago. Uh, and so those interests don't always line up, and that that's okay. That's the nature of legislating. Having a caucus that big is not easy. Chris Welch, you know, in his first two years, in his first term as House Speaker, uh, we watched him struggle with that a little bit. He's a way different personality than mike madigan mike madigan one of his superpowers is that he didn't care if he was liked uh you know he knew what his job was he knew you know how to appease his members and he knew how to twist arms when necessary and he didn't care about being liked chris welch you know he cares about being liked a lot and you know that can be kind of a struggle but I guess we'll, we'll kind of see. And I, I'm very interested in uh, seeing what kinds of uh, proposals Democrats, especially this more kind of progressive brand of Democrat, thinks that they want to bring forward in this next general assembly. Democrats that of yesteryear, and it wasn't even that long ago, would argue that maybe uh, take your foot off the gas, maybe let things ride for a while. In an ideal world, people are elected to serve their constituents and to uh, to govern, to legislate, but also people wanna leave their mark. You know, egos uh, tend to uh, conflict and I- I'm very curious to see what sorts of uh, policies rise to the top and see whether uh, Chris Welch in his capacity as speaker, is going to let a lot of things through again, uh, kind of like what we've seen in the last two years.
2: There had been consternation this election because Republicans did make such an issue of crime and the Safety Act, as it is set to that the at least the um, bail component, cashless or no cash bail, set to take effect at the start of the new year. Whether some of the Democrats, particularly those in the suburbs, would be punished for that vote, and in fact. We we did not see that occur, and so what that will mean going forward in terms of policy, if you go by the sort of old Madigan school of every vote up to their own legislature, uh, legislator to vote their district, keeping in mind that what works for a Democrat in one district might not be is winning a message in another. Uh, we again, we did not see any of the candidates punished for that safety act vote. And so that might change the direction that the party goes in Springfield and any sort of take off any hesitancy to move toward more progressive platforms.
1: It's time now for notes from the field. And Amanda, let's go to you first.
2: We've talked a lot about marijuana and the legalization of it. Got a lot of cheers from uh, Pritzker's supporters when he talked about what he accomplished in his first term. But there has, of course, been a lot of flaws with the rollout process for promises of social equity and lifting up Black and brown folks into the now legalized marijuana industry. That is changing twofold. First of all, the first social equity dispensary in Chicago set to open next week, and with many of the businesses saying that this process has been so messed up and drawn out that they no longer have the capital funds to go forward with those businesses, the state of Illinois is making available grants up to a half million dollars to social equity licensees so that they will be able to get their businesses off the ground. These are going to be grants that are forgivable.
1: All right, Charlie. Well, one of
0: the things is it's true that Chris Welch is going to have the most Democrats with 78 in his caucus in, let's say, recent times since the cutback amendment. But in terms of absolute numbers, when the House had 177 members, uh, the Democrats, well, whether it was Democrats or Republicans, they routinely had in the high 80s or 90s, the all time highest number percentage wise was in 1964 when Democrats elected 118 out of 177 for two-thirds. Now, Welch is going to have 66.1%, so he's going to fall slightly behind that.
1: All right, and Hannah.
3: I guess my note from the field this week is a bit personal. Um, Today is my last day at NPR Illinois, and I want to, of course, express my gratitude to Sean Crawford, one of the best bosses I've ever had and Amanda Vinicky, who was my first boss at NPR Illinois, technically speaking, when I interned uh, for the station back in uh, during the 2014 legislative session. Of course, um, Charlie also, uh, just a huge friend of the station and a friend of mine, I feel lucky to say. Um, I'm not going uh, too far. I think my career will probably always revolve around state politics and government, but for now, I need to take some time off. It's been a very intense uh, few years. So, uh, but just tremendously grateful for NPR Illinois and all of the listeners to State Week and all of our other programming. Thank you. We
0: you do. will be missed. And if I can add real quickly, thank you, Hannah, because you've been an excellent addition to the station, to this program. And I particularly like the insight you provide into actual the mechanics of governing public policy and not so much the the who's ahead and, and, and the campaigning part of it, you focus more on the actual governance.
3: Thank you Charlie I learned that from you.
1: <laughs> well,
0: I guess so i'm. I'm a long-time wonk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hannah, you will be missed, but we do look forward to having you back on with us here in the future. So, again, good luck to you. And that's all the time we have for this episode of State Week. Our panel included Hannah Meisel, Charlie Wheeler, and Amanda Vinicky with Chicago Tonight. A podcast of our show is available at nprillinois.org through the NPR One app or iTunes. Just look for State Week. And join us next time. I'm Sean Crawford. You've been listening to
0: State Week, a program of commentary and analysis of events in Illinois state politics and government. State Week is produced in the state capital by public radio station NPR Illinois. This is IPR, Illinois Public Radio.